it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And get ready for more of that last accent speaking about beer as this week we catch up with BrewDog's Australian top dog, Calvin McDonald. Before we do though, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly sit down with the people shaping the beer industry and through these conversations we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly and here we try to make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry. Regular listeners will know that BrewDog has been a close study for Australian Brews News in this podcast as we watch the business explode and try to match the hype and the antics with the output and the execution of what is a global craft beer phenomenon. I missed the opening of Dog Tap Brisbane, ironically, because I was experiencing Dog Tap Berlin at the time, and so this is the first time I got to sit down and catch up with Calvin and find out about how the venue's going. As you'll hear, the hospitality side of the venue has exploded over the last three months, being one of BrewDog's most profitable venues in the world over that period, and also brewing has finally started at the facility. They've even already ordered more tanks based on the demand so far. This is a great chat that covers a lot of ground, and you'll even hear Calvin, who I was pleased to learn to be an avid listener of the podcast, and he takes me to task for a few observations I've made about the business over a couple of episodes, which is great because beer is a conversation, and I hope you'll enjoy this one. Calvin McDonald, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Hey mate, thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure, and uh, I guess welcome to Brisbane as well. I wasn't here for the launch, but uh, you know, you're enjoying your first summer in Brisbane. Yeah, it's been absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Still, still adapting to the heat. I don't think I'll, I'll ever get there. Being a died in the real Scotsman, but um, yeah, it's been a fantastic first three months, and uh, yeah, been been really enjoying my time here. And so you opened in November. Um, I was in. Berlin visiting uh, a sister brewery at that stage, so I missed it. Um, but you've had three months of trade over the peak of Brisbane summer, and I believe it's been, as we say in Australia, a bit of a ball terror for you. <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, it's, it's been busy. I mean, we opened here, you know, b- backing ourselves that we've got a, a good product and and have uh, have you know good beer at the end of the day. And and we've learned over the last ten years of running hospitality businesses across the world now. Um, you know how, how how to do it at, at a basic level, but obviously every every individual open we do represents its own challenges and its own you know like level of us having to adapt to a local market. So even though we, we thought it would go go well, um, the 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 uptake we've had here has been way beyond what what we could have ever anticipated. Um, but you know it's absolutely great. We're we're really grateful to to the, the people of of brisbane and southeast queensland for coming out in in such numbers and um, my staff for the first three weeks were cursing their 60 ever weeks but um they are all super rich now so we're happy about that <laughs> um but yeah the, the level of uptake we had was was really was really was really gratifying and, and, and humbling that, that so many people wanted to come to the end of what is essentially an industrial estate in, in murray so uh, who knew but you opened it the right time obviously christmas the peak drinking weather here and obviously summer here in Australia and yep. colder in, in the Northern Hemisphere but I believe that globally this has been one of the uh, higher performing venues. Yeah so um, fortunately enough um, we've been the uh, in terms of 
sales converted to, to British pounds. I've been the top performing Brudel bar for, for four or five weeks in a, in a row now. And, and certainly a bit of that will be down to the weather. But even, even in, um, in December, which is you know, peak, peak drinking time in the UK and Christmas party season, we're up there challenging for it as well. Um, so yeah, in terms of um, a kind of uh, top line financial success, it's, it's definitely been, been there so far. And uh, yeah, it means that I can send uh, smug text messages to all my colleagues back home and uh, ask, ask them how they're, how they're getting on. Well, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Brewdog Brisbane, but I guess for those people who haven't um, met you, um, tell us a little bit about your background. So you, you, you're still fairly young. You're in your early 30s, late yeah, no, 20s? No, I'm only, I'm 28. 28. Uh, um, so yeah, but I've been with Brewdog coming up for, for eight years. So nearly as long as we've had retail businesses, I suppose. So I actually um, studied uh, economics up in up in Aberdeen, where obviously the company's from and our first bar was. And uh they opened their original bar on, on Gallagate in, in Aberdeen in, in 2010, and it was pretty much across the road from my, my student halls. And I really didn't know anything about beer then. I was the kind of guy who thought I was educated because I took Peroni to house parties instead of tenants. <laughs> uh, so I was definitely not even, not even at the start of my craft beer journey. I was not on it at all. And then Brewdog opened up across the road for me and I start, started drinking a little bit. At the same time, I'm a, I was a student. I didn't have that much disposable income. So really, it was a kind of Sunday treat to, to get away from the tenants and go and have something like a, a pint of punk or you know a pint of trashy blonde, as it would have been at that time. And, and I did always view it as you know that, that kind of nice thing to do at the weekend. Um, and I actually resisted applying for a job with Brewdog for ages because I was like, why would, why would I make my place of pleasure into a place of work? <laughs> but uh, eventually, after getting to, to know the, the original bar team there and you know getting pretty friendly with them, I was like, yeah, now, now, now's the time to do it. So yeah, I joined the company just as a part-time bar staff doing Friday, Saturday nights. Um, at the same time, I learned that the economics degree was, was not my passion and, and wasn't for me. And my boss at the time said, Calv, you know, come, come full time with Brewdog, we'd love to have you. And, uh, you know, it's a good time to get into the company. Uh, I don't think either of us could have guessed quite how good a time it was to get into the company. But um, from there, I went, went full time, ended up as duty manager and, and assistant manager in Edinburgh, um, my hometown, uh, down on the Cowgate in the original bar there. Then um, I was approached to become general manager of Brewdog Newcastle, so in the northeast of England. I was only 22 at the time. Newcastle's a, a real drinking city and um, really one of my favourite craft beer cities in the UK. So that was a real great learning experience. The bar had never done you know, what it should have done until um, that time, but having the experience behind me in, in the hometown of Brewdog and really getting that, that grasp on what we want a Brewdog bar to be like, fortunately enough, I was able to go into that site and and make a bit of a success of it, uh, which resulted in me moving down to London to open our bar in Soho. And that was a great time of life because when we opened the bar in Soho, really it was at that time beyond our wildest dreams of what a Brewdog bar could be. The fact that we were, you know, packed out just off Oxford Street, central London, busy every day. It was, you know, it, there were there were kind of halcyon days in central London. Now with our sites in, in Tower Hill in London and Berlin and Columbus and here in Brisbane, it seems like, oh, you know, it seems like a distant memory when that was the peak of what we could do. But I really, really enjoyed my time there. And as a result of that, I went on to become operations manager of London and the south of England. So I looked after 14 sites there, um, which, you know, it was, a, it was a great learning experience. And, and also having been with the company from the, the early days when the bars were, were you know, almost a, a nice a nice to have and now they're a really really key part of, of the business worldwide and, and spreading the message about what we do and, and and helping us achieve our kind of worldwide objectives um, it was great to apply what I've learned in the last six years to my, my job as an operations manager there and um, so I was really enjoying that and um, learning learning a lot and then 
yeah, the, the opportunity came up came up here in Brisbane. So I'd spent a little bit of time here. Um, both my sisters live in Perth. One of my best friends, Matt McIver, um, founded uh, Range Brewing. Um, so I was actually here on holiday about a year ago just to, to visit him. I saw what a great place Brisbane was. And, and then, yeah, in, in late August of, of 2019, um, I, I think I made like a, a passing a passing joke to to our, our head of openings in the UK because um, they'd been out doing some recruitment here, and uh, I asked if they'd found someone to, to run Brisbane yet, and he said, "Yeah, I think we've we've got a good candidate." And I was like, "Oh, that's a shame. I was hoping I'd have to to swoop in and save the day." Kind of kind of jokingly, but I suppose there was that five percent of you know maybe Brisbane wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> um, then yeah, a couple of days later, the call came from our from our d- director of retail saying, "Cal, how how do you fancy it?" And I, I really enjoyed living in London. I was having a, a great time there. But ultimately, the chance to to head up or you know really getting into this market and and the the expansion across Australia was was way too good to turn down. And and uh, yeah, three three months in, I'm I'm very happy to have made that choice. Now, did you finish your economics degree? I didn't finish the degree, so uh, I kind of. <laughs> my, my parents won't enjoy listening to this but I kind of coasted the first two years so degrees are in, in Scotland are four years long kind of paid lip service the first two years at the same time gradually increasing the amount of hours I did with, with Brewdog and uh, yeah ended up um, you know losing interest in the ec- economics degree which, which meant I went full time with Brewdog but I suppose having that, that couple of years grounding in an ec- economics degree won't have done me any harm in, in the way I've approached business and, and uh, running like both small and, and medium-sized businesses in the last few years. But uh, no, I'm, uh, no, no professional qualification uh, except my sister on, I suppose. Well, I was going to say, but working for a rapidly scaling, dynamic, international brand that has learned as it built, um, essentially, must almost be the equivalent of a uh, PhD thesis in, in, in business and business well, growth. Th- thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for saying so. Uh, I'll tell yeah, you, I'll, I'll, I'll tell my mum and dad that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I think, really, that's, that's one of the main reasons that I'm here, is that you can, you can study business until you know, you're, 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 you're red in the face, but the unique thing that I suppose I can offer here is understanding how, how Brewdog works and understanding how we scaled in the UK and having, I suppose, that, that first-hand experience that ultimately not many business you know business people have the 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 growth that we've had and the the time that we've done it in um is you know pretty pretty unrivaled so having that first-hand experience here will definitely stand me stand me in good stead and also just means that i've not got to go back to the uk for a checks and measures process james and james and martin i'm pretty sure have have confidence in me that i just have almost you know an, an innate grasp on is this a brewdog thing to do is this what we do and um when we one of the most challenging things for us internationally is is, is spreading the, the ethos um, and spreading what we expect from our staff members and what we what we want our community to look like. Kind of having that that grasp on yes, this is something that we do, and not having to go and get it double ticked by someone in Ellen with a ten-hour time difference and three days worth of emails. I think that's um, definitely the the invaluable thing that I offer to to Brewdog here. So yeah, I'm really grateful for the opportunity, but. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's eight years, eight years in the making. So yeah, it's all worked out quite nicely. Mentioning the Brewdog ethos, um, that must also be one of the the challenges for a brand that is going global and has a very edgy brand about it. How you grow globally, but then stay relevant locally without you know becoming a Starbucks brand or those sorts of things. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I think now more than at any point in Brewdog's history. We are beginning to get more uniform, and that, and we need to do that because people travel more than they used to. Loads of our customers here have seen us in the UK, and we need to offer a product at least as good as that. And that means an element of brand consistency. And 
back in the earlier days of Brewdog, the Aberdeen bar, for example, would look quite different to um, the Shoreditch bar when that opened, and we we gradually phased in the kind of cinema board style screens. And there is there is a uniform look to Brewdog, but for us, that's not about making it samey. It's about making it consistent, so that wherever you are in the world, you have that equally good experience. But you're quite right in saying that we do have a challenge of how we, you know, integrate into into each market. And and really, the the way that that we do that at first is by really trying to be part of the beer scene and embracing the local beer scene and also tra- treating our staff well because, um, you know, in the, in the UK, it's a, it's a trope about Brewdog. Oh, they're not punk anymore. They've, they've, been, they've been in Waitrose. For me, the most punk thing we did is we're the first um, hospitality company to bring in, li- bring in living wage and start paying their staff really well. Mm-hmm. If you take punk back down to its roots, it's just doing something different that you, that you believed in and, and, and you thought you should. And... Um, that, and now, most hospita- like certainly within the beer scene, most hospitality companies in the UK are paying living wage, and, mm-hmm. and that's for me the, the punk that we've, we've kind of become um, synonymous with in my head is that not accepting the status quo and beginning to do things differently. So here, coming into the to the scene, making sure that you know, but going back to the recruitment process here, everyone was worried about how many hours they were going to get and the level of pay they're going to get, and we we kind of come in and said, you know, look. We pay everyone, you know, the, the appropriate rate for the business. Everyone gets their their kind of penalty rates, their overtime. There's certainly no shortage of hours here. And um, we got a lot of pop in the media the other week for paternity leave and those little um, benefits that we're able to offer. So I think we embrace we embrace the beer scene. And you you'll have heard from from Martin before that our two main focuses are beer and our people. But I think that that ties in directly with how we become part. Of, of the community and how we are something different to what everyone else does by just doing that, you know, that upper echelon of, um, you know, of, of the way that, that we look after our guys as well. You raised, but uh, there's a couple of things I'll circle back to, but yep. um, you just raised paternity leave and you've got a, sort of a lot of uh, attention in the media. How does that work, for example? So, you know, who's eligible for that? Because I'd imagine that there are a lot of staff here that are casuals yep. in hospitality um, and those sorts of benefits normally accrue to, you know, the sort of yep. back office people, the, the people that are permanent. So that's something that, as a, as a newbie to Australia, I've uh, spent a lot of time trying to learn over the last three months, mm. the, the quirks and nuances of... Um, Australian employment law and, and things like that. Do you know what? In the, in the long term, I would love to be the first hospital company here to have all their staff on guaranteed contracts. We never thought it was possible in the UK, and yet now we do it. We don't offer any zero-hours contracts in the UK at all. Here, obviously, we do employ a fair amount of, of casuals because that's just the way the hospitality industry is set up just now. Um, but I'd love that to be something that we work towards, is making sure that every person who works for us is entitled to full benefits, is entitled to, um, you know, holiday pay, paternity leave, everything like that. With, with paternity leave as a, as a specific example, what we would do is if one of our uh, staff who is a casual wanted to take paternity leave, we'd pro rata their average hours over the last eight weeks mm-hmm. and we'd pay them at that rate. Yep. So it's not something that's obligated in their contract, but just something that we, as a company that strives to be the best employer we can be, um, that's the way we'd approach it there. It sounds great. Now, going back to uh, the global spread and you're trying to standardise, yep. That's I understand the the logic, but so when you go somewhere, you sort of know what to expect. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, um, one of the observations I've made, I think it was uh, Florence. When you're sort of walking through Florence, you've got this beautiful old town, um, and then suddenly you turn up at Brewdog, and mm. you could be anywhere in the world, and yep. it's got that little element of well, I'm basically in an airport here, yep. as opposed to in you know a medieval city. Um, so I, I see where you're coming from, but 
like a great example for me is on Le Grand Place in Brussels, for example. You've got a Starbucks and a McDonald's both hidden behind like quaint rustic like yep. signage outside. And for me, that's you know that's that's no be- no better. And, and and at least we're kind of up up front about what we do. And if you're in Florence, there's loads of small you know bars that you can go to that offer a really authentic Tuscan experience. Uh, sorry, yeah, yep. um, sorry. Florentian experience or a Tuscan experience if, uh, um, if you're there. So we're not trying to be, I'm not trying to be an authentic frizzy bar. I'm not trying to, you know, in, in you know, Germany, we're not trying to be a beer halle. Mm. We're trying to be a brutal bar operating to the best of our ability in that in that market. And and if we can put a few wee slants on it, like we try and do here with the beer range and the food range, like this is a, a unique food proposition in, in the world of Brewdog, then I think that we're, that we're doing that. Um, but part of the reason we've been successful worldwide is because we've stuck to our guns and we and we do what we do and we, and we do it well. The second that we start trying to have 101 bespoke bars is the second that we lose sight of what we're all about and it becomes to get inconsistent and, and sloppy. And, and certainly we've, you know, in, in, the, in the growth of the company, there's there's been times that some of the bars in, in, in other markets haven't been quite what we thought they should be. Brussels is a, a great example of that. We actually brought, 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 uh, sorry, brought back the Brussels bar from our franchise partner. And since then, we've been up about 30% like for like. Um, so sometimes, yeah, okay, we're, this is um, in, in Florence. We're not a, an authentic Florentian bar, but we're a bar that's performing well and, and doing what we know. Does that, and this isn't so much a Brewdog question, this is more, um, you know, the, the globalisation of experience that we do tend to lose a little bit of the regionality that we once had because you, when you, you do have a, a major player in, draws a lot of attention, other bars change to compete and some of the things that were once, you know, the, the, the reason we went there in the first place gradually change to, to become something else and I, I guess that's the same thing as tourists visiting an obscure village they're going to change the thing that they went to uh, to appreciate yeah I mean it's I mean I don't think there's really really an answer to that I suppose like our, from our perspective why shouldn't someone in, in Brisbane be able to have the same experience that someone in London has if, if they want to go to to a brutal bar and, and yeah they're like if you take the UK as an example, my original boss in the Aberdeen bar still maintains that she was the first person to put the uh, filament light bulbs in a bar and now suddenly everyone's <laughs> doing, doing it worldwide. I don't know how much veracity there is to that. But yeah, I mean, you're quite right. People do do try and change and adapt. And there's bars in, in, in Scotland, certainly, that, that are, are spookily similar to, to Brewdog bars. And, yep. and yeah, I mean, I suppose it's more a, a question of, of preference. I don't think we'll ever get to the stage where the whole world is standardised. What we do is obviously very unique to us and we want that to be consistent worldwide but i don't think that means that there's not the demographic that will come here on a saturday and head to you know an independent on a sunday i don't think that that people will will ever change their 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 habits to to only visit one type of bar yeah actually and i'll just sort of dig it out but i found an interesting quote from pete brown uh the english beer writer um they're the first craft beer brand that totally crossed over to the mainstream. Brewdog is the general public's idea of what craft is. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, on one hand, a, very much a compliment yep. for Brewdog that what you've achieved in terms of taking craft beer out of a niche yeah, yeah. and taking it mainstream. But then there's also that element of, you know, who wants mm-hmm. to be middle of the road? So I think it's important to remember that, yeah, for a lot of people, Punk IP is, is their idea of, of, of craft beer. And... And obviously, we're, we're very pleased about that. The more people that are drinking craft beer, is the less people that are drinking Carling or Heineken in the UK. And, and that's always been our, our MO, and we'll never shy away from that. What I would say to that is that that small demographic that are the craft beer fanatics, we brew over 100 beers a year. 
like we're super prolific. We our small batch stuff is still, you know, in terms of um, numerical output, in terms of the amount of years that we release in a year, still the main part of our business. Yep. Obviously, volume wise, is something completely different. And and as we grow, I think it is difficult to try and be all things to all people. How do you appeal to you know the you know two thousand people coming here over a weekend as well as you do? the hundred of them that are really beer geeks and it's it's a constant challenge that we face worldwide to to appeal to to the the ever increasing number of people in the mainstream that are craft beer fans as well as those original craft beer nerds that invested in efp1 and are you know the real thing that this this company is built on and and i think that it's our, our sheer um you know diversity and in, in range is, is the way that we do that if you're lucky enough to be in scotland and head to overworks our server facility for me that's my favorite thing we do it's just tremendous rich Kilcullen, our brewmaster there is is an absolute genius and i would say that that's not main, most people's perception of what craft beer is that's your kind of real craft beer geek's perception of what craft beer is so in my mind if we're getting people on the craft beer journey by drinking punk ipa or dead pony club then then great we kind of hooked them they're in and that opens up the opportunity for us to start talking about things like overworks and, and making that mainstream demographic into your your, your craft beer geek demographic there's a, the second part of pete's quote following on from that um was uh you know he said punk ipa is a different beer to what it was when it was launched it's more accessible so yep. again one of those things that it's acknowledging yep. that to grow you probably have to knock off the rough edges Look, to some extent there's Every, every business has, has progress. There's very few businesses that can be 12 years in and be exactly the same in terms of output as they were on day one. For our um, AGM in, in Aberdeen three years ago, we, we rebrewed three of our original beers to original recipe um, and we rebrewed Punk IPA at 6% and their response to that was uh, far away from what you would read on Twitter about everyone pining for original Punk IPA. So it would be foolhardy of us not to move with the market. If we were like, you know, 12 years ago, we brewed this beer this way for us not to realize that the market has advanced in 12 years yeah there's no no point in that certainly for my own palate what i was drinking seven years ago uh, and i found extreme is certainly not what i found extreme anymore jackhammer is a great example of that the first beer i had that was as bitter as 200 ibus i found it a tough a tough struggle you know i could yeah. i could get through a half and that was about it now i could knock back a few skinners with jackhammer quite quite happily so um Breweries worldwide have done it. Like um, Stone are a good example. Ruination 2.0, um, you know, ad- advancing advancing their output. Um, so I think, yeah, Pete's totally right. Punk IP isn't the same beer it was 12 years ago, but I think that's a, a sensible decision. Yeah, but it, I, I guess when you're moving um, with the market and your market's broadening, which means that you've got to sort of probably be a little bit more mindful of that broader demographic. At what point um, is it time to put the safety pins and torn T-shirts away and just sort of say, hey, we're just a really good brewery? So that's something that we're, as a company, really, really mindful of just now. Like, we started on the anarchist, you know, kind of kind of, war path, and then we, we've moved on We moved on to being the rebels. Now we want to be the, the mavericks, and that certainly will instruct a, a lot of what we, we do across the next, the next couple of years. But I think certainly within the last 12 to 18 months, uh, in terms of our, the, the tone of our output, there has definitely been a, an element of evolution there. Um, the fact that now we, you know, we just want to, to settle in, using Brisbane as a specific example, settle in, make sure that our core range here is absolutely perfect. We're not, you know, we've not hopefully tried to, to piss too many people off so far. Like the kind of real controversial tactics, um, which really helped us get get where we are today. They, they put they put us on the on the map and still my 
my granny will keep little cuttings that she's read in the paper about <laughs> us brewing tactical nuclear penguin back in the day or whatever. So, I mean, they were really, really important back then and, and really helped to change people's paradigm of what, what beer was. The fact is now we're at a, a point of the industry where we are almost becoming a household name, certainly in the UK, in, in terms of what, what craft beer is. Um, I think James, James himself, himself has, has alluded to before the fact that we need to, to recognise that and, and reflect that in, in our output. At the same time, it comes back to earlier on, what, what do you define punk to be? And for me, being a, a large brewery that still brews 100 beers a year and has a massive overworks uh, sour facility in, in rural Aberdeenshire um, is, for me, the evolution of what punk is for us now. But does that then mean that somebody like, uh, you know, that opening the definition of craft, somebody like um, Goose Island, Goose Island does, yeah. does that mean that someone like Goose Island, they've still got a, a barrel program mm-hmm. making, you know, phenomenal number of yep. beers a year, but they're owned by a, yep. a, a big business. Can so, they be punk? So look, I think from my personal perspective, speaking, um, speaking in terms of what I like to drink, I still think um, Juliet is one of my favourite beers by, by Goose Island. It's, it's absolutely great. That doesn't change the fact that that both myself and Brewdog fund- fundamentally disagree with breweries being owned by other breweries. Yep. Uh, that doesn't mean that their output can't still be objectively good. So, uh, moving back to Brisbane, I was interested uh, in speaking of Overworks, uh, Brisbane has been one of the biggest sellers of uh, sour beers outside of the home uh, brewery. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in terms of our... Um, kind of split of, of what we've been selling sour beer here has been going absolutely great guns and, and better in the UK and, and it's been really um, great for me as a big sours fan to see that that within within Brisbane and South East Queensland we've got some great sours kicking about in the market and um, actually maybe us bringing our, our sours that were brewed, brewed over in Scotland to, to we're actually bringing them to a market that's more developed than the sour beer market is in the UK um, so for me it's a, it's, it's a great thing and yeah we've got about 16 different overworked beers uh, in our in our cold room ready to go on at, at any point so uh, yeah from a, from a selfish perspective I'm absolutely stoked about it but um, in terms of how the market's looking here for us and how um, the beer, beer scene's performing the fact that that people are already into into sours and, and knowledgeable about them is, is, is a great place for us to start from as a business and I was, I was surprised um, you very quietly started brewing uh, out, of, out of Brisbane. There was a bit of a delay and uh, yep. um, you offered me a fresh glass of uh, Brisbane <laughs> Punk IPA. Yeah, that's right. So we originally, um, well, not originally, but <laughs> at, the, at the last um, point of publicity, I think, wanted to have beer beer out in the tap rooms in December. Um, we missed that by about two weeks, which, you know, in the scheme of the whole project is, is, not, is not too bad. Um, but yeah, we were... Um, we had Jason Pond, who's our worldwide brewmaster, over visiting the brewery last week as we speak um, to give the ultimate sign-off on things. Obviously, he spends a lot of time traveling the world and is the, the, the world authority on, on punk in this day and age. So we're waiting on his double thumbs up. He said, let's do it. This is, this is great. And uh, yeah, what we, um, what we want to do is, is, is put it on tap. Um, we announced it a little bit on our own, our own socials, but... Ultimately, just now, it's only available in our. I must our have not have been there looking close enough. Yeah, so we, we just we just snuck it in there, um, but but ultimately, we'll you know go full gung ho on, on the launch of Brisbane Brewed Beer once that's in, in package stock and is going to be accessible outside of outside of this 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 brewery where we're sat today. Um, in the meantime, let's just get these two beers on that, that we've brewed in Brisbane, make sure that, you know, public uh, response uh, here is, is really, really positive, And then, you know, we'll have confidence to, to 
pop them in cans next month and, and get them out in the market. You mentioned uh, that the batch that's on was Lindsay's first batch. Yep. Um, so, you know, to, to, to get it so well is, is a great uh, testament to him. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. It's been absolutely um, great working with Lindsay for the last three months, obviously, as experience uh, in, the, in the market over here, both knowing, knowing the scene, but also being, uh, being a great uh, great brewer and then head of production has been, been really invaluable. And yeah, that's right, the two beers that we've got on just now, so Australian Brewed Punk IPA and our, our first unique beer to Australia, it's a 3.5% uh, pale ale. Um, the fact that we didn't have to, to dump any beer and, and the first beers we brewed were, were, were good enough to go, to go on tap and are, are tasting, in my opinion, absolutely, absolutely amazing. It's a real testament to him and uh, Tim, our other brewer as well. Um, so yeah, I'm really, really pleased and yeah, Lindsay's uh, done a great job. And it was interesting that your pale ale, uh, I think you mentioned, it's 4% in the UK and 3.5% here. Yep. Obviously, regional difference with, with the drinking culture here. Yeah, so our top selling beer here um, by quite a long way has been Dead Pony Club, which is our 3.8% pale ale. Um, and that's a good example of how we look at, you know, Brewdog becoming a relatively uniform proposition throughout the world, but still adapting to local markets. Our biggest selling beer in Columbus, in Ohio, which is where our brewery is there, is Elvis Juice at 6.5% grapefruit IPA. Our biggest selling beer here, Dead Pony at 3.8%. So it would, again, be, um, you know, it would be re uh, remiss of us not to, not to adapt our offering to the local market. We think there's definitely room for a 3.5% kind of mid-strength pale ale that's absolutely full of flavour. For me, the, this first batch is pretty much as bitter a three and a half percent as I've had I've, I've had here, um, and no doubt I'll take the the kind of the market that I expect that three and a half percent mid a, a little bit of time for for the taste buds to warm up to, to that amount of bitterness. But I'm definitely definitely sure that that will get there. And for me, yeah, as as you said, for that to be one of the first beers coming out of the Brisbane breweries, a, a great example of what we do. With the, I, I think that you underestimated the demand for the for the first three months, and you may have even undercated yep. um, to, to, yep. to the volume that, that you ordered. Um, is there any thinking that well, maybe we should have stuck with the fifty liter brew house? So I think this fifty slash twenty five hectare liter brew house um, kind of argument has is, is been a little bit lost because. What we're referring to there is the amount of beer you can brew at once. Mm. That's not the amount of beer you will brew, not the amount of beer that you can brew in a day. And it could well be that if we stuck with a 50 heck brew house, we're just doing one brew a day as opposed to two. We're filling mm. exactly the same amount of tanks. And I think people have got kind of fixated on this. As, as I know when you spoke to Martin before, he said, our main thinking is giving us more flexibility. So for example, we're going to be at the various Gabs festivals this year. We're still looking at kind of what we can do for that. And a 50 heck batch for that would be, would be you know, a hell of a batch to get through, whereas we're actually feasible, you know, feasibly able to do that with a 25 pike kit. That doesn't mean that our, our output is going to be any less. It just means that is more of a sensible size to start from. Also, I think we've learned from, you know, opening, opening in Columbus and starting with a really huge, huge kit and, you know, ending up sitting on stock and, you know, like it doesn't allow for great kind of liquidity in the business. And our whole MO of being here, the whole point we're here is to get the beer out into market as fresh as possible. So, you know, if, if, Linz and, if Linz and Tim have to start setting their alarm two hours earlier so we can get in an extra brew a day because yep. the demand's there, then that's great. We have the ability to do that. Um, so I, th I think that people shouldn't get too, too lost on, on the size of our brew house, but they should look at the amount of beer we want to get into market. And, and to be fair, because I was one of the people that raised the um, change yep. in the brewery, it, the, the, the tell about it was raised because the business initially denied that it had happened yep. and then it happened. And Yeah, look, and, and I mean, I agree. Like this has been 
it's, it's always an issue in a, in a fast-growing company is that the reason we're able to expand so quickly is because we operate really, really leanly. That means that sometimes things do get missed. That you know, And this was obviously before my involvement with yep. BrewDog Australia, but just speaking as a, a BrewDog vet, it wouldn't be the first time I've seen something come through to the press. It's been, you know, it's been confirmed and then actually you know, there's been a miscommunication somewhere. And really, if that's a, you know, the biggest issue that we have in this entire project, then I think we've probably done not okay out of it. Like, Definitely, if people have felt misled before, then I, on behalf of BrewDog Australia, would apologise for that. Yeah. We've never deliberately led anyone on, and hopefully, when you get down to the brewery and you see the the scale of it and the space that we've got here, and and hear from me about what our plans are, then yeah, hopefully, you'll you'll be convinced that we do have big intentions in Australia. And look, it's not so much any suggestion that it's being misled. It's just uh, you know, again, from my own personal experience, there's a difference between. Uh, being told that a business is radically transparent yep. and answering and not answering questions or yep. uh, so, but totally yeah. well, well, hopefully now I'm I'm on the ground and hopefully here for the foreseeable. Um, yeah, oh, like because we're such a unique business. It's like talking about BrewDog. It's like being on on Mastermind with my specialist subject every day. It's an absolute <laughs> it's an absolute privilege and having seen it kind of all before in, yep. in various markets. Um, yeah, it's my favorite thing to do is is give my take on it and, and keep everyone updated. So. Um, so now that now that I'm, I'm here and we're fully kind of pretty much fully operational, um, hopefully we'll see an improvement on that side of things. At the time those questions were getting asked, um, there was no one on the ground in Australia, um, and and that's probably didn't didn't help matters. Um, but but now in terms of transparency, yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be here going forward. So you don't want to announce any new uh, brewing equipment already being ordered based on demand. Um, yeah, I'm happy to say that we're already looking at doubling our fermentation capacity. Yep. We actually started looking at that before we even had a beer in tank, and that was based on our confidence from the, the opening three weeks of the tap room. So, yep. um, look, it's it's not in our interests to brew less beer than we can sell. Yeah. So, look, we wouldn't be where we are by, by doing that. Um, at the same time, although we're obviously part of a, a larger, you know, worldwide operation, BrewDog Australia is... It's got to be self-sufficient. It's got to be sustainable, and and to some extent, we've got to run like and from a business perspective, quite independently of of the worldwide business. So, it it wouldn't make any sense for us to to, to overspend it in the short term. But based on the way the taproom has gone and and how the opening beers have come out, I'm pretty confident we'll be able to start um, start expanding very quickly. Yep. Um, and one of the other things that you know the the figures that keeps coming up is the thirty million dollar brew house. Yep. Obviously, this is a very impressive facility. Yeah. But we're probably getting some change out of thirty million dollars on what's been invested so far. That's obviously yep. long term. Yep, absolutely. And, and I mean, um, kind of listening listening to some of the, the podcasts before, it's, it's like the two things that seem to come up are are the investment in in Brisbane and the amount of jobs being created. Mm-hmm. Um, they are definitely long term long term propositions. Like I, I think I believe it was two hundred thirty people have, uh, originally announced. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been for a, a walk around our, our Brisbane HQ today, and and a lot of it is, is still a shell. It's essentially myself and, and Lindsay in terms yeah. of people who, who run the business here. Um, but that's not to say that we don't want to have ultimately two hundred thirty people working for Brewdog Brew in Australia. Um, so that will include you know our marketing team, our sales team. Uh, finance team you know payroll everything like that that'll all get added on um, as we go at the same time it wouldn't make sense for us as a as a business operating at this level just now to to have those kind of overheads in our our back office so um, I don't know what happened there again before my time whether people get a wee bit over over excited or you know people here 230 and because that's the best figure that's what gets reported Um, but eventually we will get there and um, 
and yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy that we've been able to open with with, with 80 staff just just in the tap room. Mm. Uh, that's the tap room and kitchen, which is a hell of a, a hospitality venue by any uh, brewer standards. So um, we've been able to create create a lot of, a lot of jobs here. I also picked up before that. It was kind of suggested that these are not new jobs, but but jobs that will result in like transparency between venues and people coming over. We actually um, pride ourselves on on our, the training that we do and being able to take people that would never have applied for a job in a yep. craft beer bar and, and train them up. And actually looking at our entire staff of 80 people here, I can count on, on one hand the amount of people that had direct experience for a brewery before. Mm -hmm. And actually, I can only think of one that came directly from another brewery, which out of a staff of 80 isn't bad. And I would suggest, and we've seen it before worldwide, that because of the experience that we've had working for us here, we've created new craft beer professionals for, for their next job and beyond. I was lucky to have an, uh, a couple of friends visiting me over the weekend, um, both of whom used to work for Brewdog in the UK, both of whom now work in craft beer in Melbourne, and that's a, it's a common story worldwide. Yep. So um, it's, I wouldn't be doing my job correctly and Brewdog wouldn't be fulfilling our kind of ethos and mission if we weren't creating new craft beer professionals so um so yeah as we expand and we obviously want to open more venues and expand the brewery and eventually have a packaging team and, and everything like that um hopefully these are genuine new jobs for south southeast queensland and beyond uh, i think it was about 12 months ago you announced that you were looking for for your next venues how's yep. the, the hunt going there so we're always we always have an eye on our next venue just now we don't have anything specific in mind. Honestly, between me and Linz, the last few months has been, you know, has <laughs> been has been a lot of work. Um, I'm really looking forward to this year consolidating what we do. Make, like first and foremost, the beer is what we live and die by. We can be this amazing hospitality company, yep. but if the beer is not any good, then it's all for nothing, and you know we won't get anywhere. And um, so, priority number one for this year is making sure that our brewery output is 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 world class. Priority number two is making sure that the Dog Tap Brisbane Tap Room is doing as well as it has done over the last few weeks. Um, you kind of mentioned that it's the best time of year to open because, you know, we're coming into summer. Also, though, that December month is, is your busiest month in the hospital anywhere. So we've kind of almost lost the, the kind of opening boom to a month that we would have been busy, busy anyway. I might True. have prepared the opening yeah. boom to be in, to be in you know, July. Um, so it's my job this year, certainly as someone whose who's background is mainly in the retail side, to, to oversee that and make sure this is sustainable and, and, and will, will continue. Once we're confident about those two things, then we start looking elsewhere. Um, and that's a part of the job that I'll definitely really enjoy. This was the 24th Brudel Bar I've opened worldwide. It's my, my absolute speciality and, and the, thing, the thing I enjoy <laughs> So you enjoy must have most. opened, how many are there now? There's 90? So there's, yeah, so we've just hit um, 100 with our, the opening of our Dublin Bar. Um, so yeah, I've opened about a quarter of the Brudel Bars in the world. Is that not bad going? So yeah, it's, it's not bad. I've, I've, seen, I've seen it all. So I mean, um, it's been a great one. So in terms of being on, on the team in, in Brewdog Angel in London, for example, which is about 60 capacity and has various brew kits to being there in Tower Hill, uh, also in London, which has a 600 capacity to being, uh, being across in, in Berlin for the, for the grand opening there, which is um, the Dogtap Berlin is obviously an, an amazing venue. So yeah, it's given me a, a, a hell of a, a broad range of uh, opens to draw from. And it's important to, not to remember that this Dogtap Brisbane is, you know, this is a real pièce de résistance. This is our academy site where it'll be great for the staff here to learn about Brewdog, learn about what it is, get to know the brewers, and then hopefully when we open next, wherever that may be, they can go on and, and take what they've learned here to, to, to expand that. And that'll be, that'll be an all-Australian all workforce. Like That's the way that we're, that we're expanding in, in the long term in, in, in Australia. But um, yeah, even though this is a 420 capacity you know, tap room, we will have bars in, in smaller markets that are, you know, like 
I always see them as an off-site tap room. Yep. So basically, it's exactly the same service level you get here, just without the brewery on the side. Um, but yeah, like they won't all be absolute behemoths on on the river like this one is. But, but you're still looking, so nothing to announce yet. But you, there, there will be in 2020 potentially. No, look, no, nothing to announce. Uh, honestly, we're it's still too early in the year to, to to forecast when bar number two in Australia will be. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to fall into any any, <laughs> no, any no, false no, no. promises. No, 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 uh, fair don't know, absolutely. But um, Good call. but it, it absolutely is still our intention that we want to have more opportunities to get to get the word across right right across Australia. Um, me and Martin Dickey are in the same boat that we've got siblings in, in Perth and I'm sure that'd that'd be a, a great place for us to be able to, to go to go with our families. Um, but look, we want bars right 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 across Australia because that's the way that we've been able to grow so effectively in, in the UK and Europe is by having those brew dog staff on the ground in every city that are amazing ambassadors yep. for what we do. Um, and yeah, really, it's been, in my opinion, in my opinion, next to the Equity for Punk community, um, our secret weapon is having, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred and fifty staff in, in in London in the early days, you know, across six or seven bars, all there, all who are brew dog experts, um, essentially. So yeah, it's been a cool thing that, that we've been able to do, and I'm definitely looking to do it here. And uh, now I know I will get asked if uh, if I don't put the question to you. Um, but you are brewing on site. Punk IPA is freshly being made here. Yep. But there's going to be a little while while you just bed things down and get your systems in place before it's available in other places. That's absolutely correct. So our uh, canning line is being uh, kind of uh, is, is in place. It's being commissioned next month. We'll obviously run some water tests on that, some dissolved oxygen tests on that, and make sure that everything is absolute tip top. Then I would suggest that from the end of March, you could expect to see um, Brewdog beer out in the market. At the very least, you'll be able to come to Dogtap Brisbane and buy a, buy a slab from us. Um, the other thing uh, I really should ask is Equity for Punks. Yep. Um, Equity for Punks, there still isn't an Australian yep. version. Are yep. you looking into that? It's 100% on, on the agenda for this year. Um, obviously, with every new market becomes new legal challenges and we need to make sure everything's in line with that. But um, it's for me the the way that we sustain the growth of Brewdog across Australia is by building that community. Um, equity punks are are invaluable. The, the the brand ambassador role that they play is is the mo- is the most important thing. Yeah, sure, it's it's great to get the, the kind of the the investment in terms of cash that allows us to you know maybe buy a few new fermentation vessels or you know um, ex- expand that side of things. But for me, it's the fact that they are literally invested in the company go home and tell their friends about this amazing new dog tap that's up in Murray and people say are you sure a new brewery in Murray and they say yeah it's amazing go up have a look and then all of a sudden that's four more people who are, who are on the, the kind of the craft beer the craft beer trail and um, that's the most important thing important thing to us so um, obviously there's some legal sen- like sensibilities about making sure everything's in place and we want to make sure that we open with a really realistic offering now that we're um, kind of prospectus wise now that we have an idea of how the tap room is going and and that the beer is coming out we're in a really strong place to to launch that so um look out for that and 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 certainly this year uh, i don't want to give an exact date again but it will it will be happening and uh this saturday uh, is a big day for australian craft beer with the uh, countdown of the hottest yep. 100 craft beers uh have you made inquiries yet whether you're eligible for so, technically we're not um uh, there's a little caveat there that um foreign owned kind of breweries that operate here um, are not are not technically not eligible however now that we have 
um, Australian brewed beer only for the Australian market. I hope that might change things a little bit this year. I could understand Australian brewed punk IPA not being eligible because it's a, an international version of an existing beer. But if we are a, a, a brewery operating solely in Australia, brewing a beer solely for the Australian market that's solely available in Australia, yep. I would like to think we'd be, we'd be eligible for that. So, um, yeah, there's maybe a conversation to be had there. Um, but yeah, certainly, certainly, I'd, I'd like to think that that now we're up and running, we can we can see what we can do. Well, I know the organisers do listen, so I, I, ho- hopefully, I'm, we've I'm, raised well, I'm well aware there. of that. I'm well, I'm well aware of that. <laughs> so we'll see what comes of that. Yeah. And uh, now you, you did mention Gab's beers. Um, yep. the, the size of the brewery was well suited to sort yep. of having that sort of. Have you got any uh, tips or any ideas about what your Gab's beer will be? Like so. Kind of, as I mentioned a few times now, I don't want to sound like a broken record. Our, our priorities have been getting the brewery up yep, and running, of course. getting the tap room up and running. Now that we, um, we're in a position where those are pretty much both ticked, that's when we can start to really get down to, to the fun stuff. So with Gab's coming round pretty, you know, it's coming, it's coming up hot, isn't it? It's about four months away, three and a half. Um, it would be silly of us to start brewing, you know, uh, experimental Gab's beers before we're really happy with our core range, which is going to allow us to, you know, to expand across across Australia, and it's going to be what what people really know us for. At the same time, me and, and Lindsay and Tim were having a chat yesterday uh, about what we might be able to do. So I've not got anything anything to confirm, but um, yeah, definitely once we're fully dialed in, my favourite part of of helping to run a brewery here will be the the one-off batches that we make for the Australian yep. market. Uh, certainly, I'm in agreement with. Um, view on when you spoke to Martin that a Berliner Weiss would be a great thing to, to, to bring to Australian market and take advantage of the fact that that sours go really well. Um, for example, Quenchquake, our, our 4.2% um, grapefruit and tangerine kettle sour was our first beer to sell out uh, okay. of the initial allocation that we got. So maybe something like that for the Australian market would be a good one, but um, let's, let's see how it goes. Wonderful. Well, Calvin McDonald, thank you very much for welcoming me to Dogtap Brisbane. It's a, I haven't had a chance to try the food or anything, but actually the one thing before I let you go is... Yep. Uh, I'm driving, had to, it's, it is a bit of the way from the city, so I had to yep. drive. So I got to have a little sip of the uh, freshly brewed uh, yep. um, Punk IPA, but we just had the uh, Punk yeah, AF. The Punk AF, yeah. So, I mean... How's that been going? It's, it's been going absolutely absolutely great here. Um, so you'll have noticed, and actually you've reported on yourself, that we opened the world's first alcohol-free bar in, in London earlier this, this month, which I'm, I'm slightly envious. I'm, I'm not there to see it. And I think there's definitely... Um, a gap in the market here for that to be you know something that we're well known for yep. um i think we've all tried many alcohol free beers that are certainly not not worth our time but the fact that that punky f in, in my opinion is is the best alcohol free beer i've tried um out of a, a sample of not that many craft alcohol free beers to be fair um it's something that can really set set us apart and especially in a a climate which I'm, I'm quick learning you need a lot of hydration uh, <laughs> yeah. you know it's, it's and yeah you're quite right with our location as well being out of the town it's it's been something that we've absolutely absolutely flown through so um our first package beer to sell out here was was punky f we've got more of that landing on um like cold freighted next week so we we do intend to keep that available in in brutal brisbane and um, we also have the nanny state which is a bit one that um used to be available on Dan, Dan Murphy's and things yeah. like that. And actually, through like various Facebook messages and emails, is the beer that people have been most disappointed they can no longer find on the Dan Murphy's, which really says something about the market here. Okay. Um, so the fact that it, we're pretty confident that our alcohol-free beers are good is something that, in the long term, we'd love to make here. Yep. Punk AF specifically presents a little bit of a challenge for us in that it's, it's pasteurized, so we need to add a pasteurizer to the brewery. The reason for that is there's lactose in it, which adds to the body, which makes it such a good beer. Um, that also that means it travels quite well so if we can continue to get 
it's 57 days from, from Aberdeen to, to Brisbane on the water. Mm. So if we can continue to get stock in every two months, that's, that's two months old. It never gets older than four months old. We're relatively comfortable with that for an alcohol-free beer. Um, and certainly fresh and it's been in, in Australia before. Um, yeah, it's something that we're, we're really excited about. So, um, yeah, that'll definitely continue to be available here. And in, in the longer term, as, as we scale up here, it's something that could be really, really important for us. And, and what's your read? If you've heard the podcast, which you clearly have, you would have heard me wonder what the use case, you know, if I'm here with a group of friends yep. and I'm the designated driver, yep. obviously it's nice to have a beer yep. instead of a lemon, lime and bitters or a yep. water. So that way you, you, you're joining in. Um, and, and that's a, a use case, but yep. do you, I'm still yet to see alcohol-free. I'm yet to be at a party and someone bringing a six-pack of alcohol-free beers or see an empty alcohol-free beer bottle in, but, in the but, gutter. Well, that's interesting because we're right at the start of the alcohol-free beer, you know, yep. market in terms of the craft scene. Ten years ago in the UK, it would have been, un, you know, nearly unheard of to go to a party and someone roll up with a four-pack of craft beer. Um, like here, certainly. Like we're getting to the stage where you would expect to, to rock up at a party and, and see some craft beers amongst your your, your more mainstream options. Um, but we're right at the start of that journey. So the fact that we're able to come here with a, a pretty solid um, alcohol-free offering, certainly on tap, is, is, yeah. is, is extra unusual. Um, I think stands us in, in, good, in good stead. And, and yeah, as, you know, it's... <laughs> I mean, it might be a bit, bit rich me sitting here saying this as a, as a 28 year old, but like your kind of millennial demographic seems to be much more conscientious than, than ever before about the effects of drinking. And, and there's many, like quite a few reports and studies that have been done about changing drinking habits. So if we're in a position here that we've got a really good product that can, can capitalize on that, then, then I think that's, that's absolutely great. And, and certainly um, when the alcohol industry at times has, has its challenges with the way that we, we present ourselves to, to the mainstream and You've seen, I've already become acquainted with the ABAC and uh, <laughs> everything like that. If, if we can, can help spearhead uh, a, a responsible and conscientious um, option, I don't think alcohol-free beer will ever be, you know, like a, a leader. But at the same time, in the UK, there was, there was a year, I don't, I don't have the latest stats up to, up, to, up to date, but the fourth biggest craft, uh, craft beer in terms of sales in the UK was, was Nanny State, really? um, okay. which is really a sign of, of what the market can become. Um, Obviously, there's a, a little bit based on availability on that, and, and um, you know, as, a, as an entire um, snapshot of, of the market, it's maybe not entirely representative. But yep. the fact that because there's demand for it to be available and the sales were there, that it was able to be the fourth best selling craft beer in the UK despite being 0.5% alcohol um, shows what market is, is there. And, and yeah, I'm excited to see how how the scene develops, especially here in, in Brisbane over the next few years. Oh, it, it, it is going to be fascinating because at the moment I still get the feeling that it's a brewer-led category as yeah. opposed to a consumer-demanded uh, so category. Do you, do you know what? And it's, it's great to, to have chats like this and tell you that everyone's been um, mad on the case for the nice day on, on our Facebook yep. messages and, and Punk AF is the first beer to sell out in cans. So um, so hopefully, yeah, hopefully we, we see that become uh, c- consumer-driven over the next few years and I think put everyone in a, in, a, in a good place and it's a nice sign of the times, isn't it? Uh, well, we'll see, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, sometimes you hope you're wrong yeah. and uh, th- th- this is one of those times. So. Absolutely. Well, Cal McDonald, thank you very much for welcoming to uh, uh, Dog Tap Brisbane and uh, all, all the very best uh, uh, for surviving the heat. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much, Matt. Anytime. <laughs> And that was Calvin McDonald. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt, 
With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Brews News. And I should add, as I was walking through the cool room uh, at BrewDog, I did notice there was quite a few boxes of Yakima Chief Hops. So even BrewDog is a customer of Cryer Malt and we thank Cryer Malt for their support for this podcast. 